It's time for the Steelman and Thune at Noon with Mike Steely and Parker Thune. Hit the guys up on the law offices of Rod Pulse and Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line at 405-329-9000 or shoot the guys a text on the Air Comfort Solutions text line at 405-651-3439. Live from the Brown O'Haver Studios, here's Mike Steely and Parker Thune. All right, let's jump right into a Thursday edition. Steelman and Thune at noon here on the Ref Radio Network. Hope your Thursday is going well. we got a lot of things to talk about. Uh, we've got uh, recruiting to talk about. Sooners, Cowboys, Oklahoma hanging in there at number 10 in the 24-7 uh, recruiting rankings, team rankings. The Cowboys at 25. Texas A&M has jumped Alabama for the number one spot. Uh, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. How about the NBA basketball last night? Man, the crazy endings. You had uh, Austin Reeves hitting the game-winning three. He made five of six from three-point range in the Lakers' overtime victory over Dallas last night. Incredible. He played uh, nearly 35 minutes in that game. He's played well for the Lakers when he's had his opportunities. Uh, They went at 107-104 in overtime. And in the wild, bizarre, unbelievable, historical ending at Paycom Center last night, the Pelicans beat the Thunder 113-110 after Shea Gilgis-Alexander hit that crazy uh, 31-foot three with one and a half seconds left. Uh, Again, the Pelicans, no timeouts, but Devontae Graham hits a 61-footer, the longest buzzer beater in NBA history. You don't see a lot of heaves like that in the NBA. And the ones you do see, Mike, usually don't go in. No. and That was one of the most bizarre sequences in the span of three seconds I've ever witnessed. It it looks like you're going to overtime, right? The Thunder had tied the game at 110, but Graham hits the 61-footer at the buzzer. And, you know, it was all because they didn't have a timeout because what happens so often in the NBA is you advance the ball past half court and you very rarely get a shot like that that you may see in a college basketball game. In the NCAA tournament last year, we had the half court shot that Jalen Suggs made for Gonzaga against UCLA, but that was an amazing shot by Devontae Graham. And for Oklahoma City, uh, you know, maybe for Thunder fans – that's about as good as it gets. You had a good, pretty good crowd last night for two teams who had won eight games. And then you had an exciting finish. You know, that's a historical finish you saw last night. And the Thunder lost, improving their odds in the tankathon. So, uh, Oklahoma City will host the LA Clippers coming up Saturday night at 7 p.m. at the Paycom Center. We will talk a little Thunder basketball. We'll bring back our man Brandon Rabar, DailyThunder.com, coming up here in a little bit. He'll join us at 12:35. At a great moment for Austin Reeves. How cool is it? You know, you see Austin Reeves, and you wonder, you know, is he going to get drafted? Is he going to get drafted in the second round? Is he going to be a free agent, sign a deal, that kind of thing? And you see him get the buzzer-beating three last night to win it for L.A. over the Mavericks, and he's being hugged by Hall of Famers everywhere. Russ, LeBron, you know, Anthony Davis, teammates. Great moment for him last night. Uh, College basketball, the Sooners will next be in action on Sunday at 2 o'clock against Texas Arlington after their uh, great victory last Saturday over 10th-ranked Arkansas up in Tulsa at the BOK Center. The Sooners, again, Uh, Maybe with a couple victories here in their next two games against uh, UTA and Alcorn State, might be able to break into the top 25. Cowboys and Houston will play uh, Saturday at 6 o'clock. Again, the Sooners Sunday at 2 o'clock. Oklahoma State and Houston 
Uh, Kelvin Sampson and company against the Cowboys and Mike Boynton in Fort Worth at Dickey's Arena, 6 o'clock Saturday night. And Tulsa will play a good Colorado State team. The Rams are 23rd in the country. That's a uh, 3.30 in the afternoon uh, Saturday in uh, Tulsa. We have uh, Thursday night football tonight as well. Parker, Chiefs and Chargers. What a wild weekend this could be in the National Football League with all this COVID stuff going around. I mean, it is crazy. Well, there's so much parity in the league right now. You think about it, the gap between the best team in the league. Like, who is the best team in the NFL in your eyes, Mike? You're going to say the Rams? You're going to say the Patriots? Packers? Packers are up there? Arizona, Tampa Bay? And that's that's kind of my point, is that, hey, that conversation is intriguing enough at face value, but then you take that and you compare it with the margin between those teams and even a team like the Cleveland Browns or the Washington Redskins that's one of the, you know, you see the TV graphics and they're in the in the hunt category with regard to the playoff picture. Cleveland's got major COVID issues, you know, uh, a lot of teams have major COVID issues uh, heading into this week, so, and the Raiders and the Browns coming up this weekend and Cleveland uh, hanging in there despite, because really, if you think about it, this year couldn't have gone much worse for Baker Mayfield. And, And again, they still, if they can win some games down the stretch, they have four left. They could be in the playoffs, but man, they have had so many injuries. Now, COVID, Baker's been hurt, shoulder, ankle, uh, torn labrum, all of that stuff. He's had, uh, you know, and, you know, and he's been very inconsistent, mostly not that good. You know, the Browns have had two games, two games out of 13 where they have thrown for over 225 yards in a game. Wow. That's astonishing. That's like, (laughs) <laughs> That's the type of statistic that would have been commonplace back in like the 1970s. That is crazy, isn't it? And again, there's some crazy numbers out there like uh, Kyler Murray has thrown more interceptions in Baker Mayfield and the Browns are all over the Browns fans. Um, a lot of them. Baker still has, you know, a small contingent of fans that are still my support number six, that kind of thing. Let's let the year play out and see what happens. But, uh, you know, it could be Baker's last season. Uh, this coming season in Cleveland, we'll see unless they pick it up. So, but it's been uh, injury plagued, uh, COVID ravaged, uh, bad football, particularly very inconsistent on offense, injuries, a lot of stuff happening to Cleveland, and they have the Raiders coming up this week. Urban Meyer got fired, though. How about that? Can we that? have a celebration? <laughs> yes. Oh, Mike, from now on. Every the absurdity and the atrocity of every single coaching tenure will be judged according to the Meyer factor, because this was, in my eyes, the biggest debacle of a coaching tenure in the history of professional. I mean, football. when you don't even last the season, and you think about a tarnished legacy, now that's almost impossible, Mike. It like is the last the last coach, Freddie freaking Kitchens, lasted the season, didn't well, the he? Last, exactly, the last coach that didn't last one season. At the NFL level with a single team upon being hired was Bobby Petrino in 2007, and that was only because he took the Arkansas job. He left the Falcons to take the Arkansas job. But it's been a decade and a half, Mike, since any coach was fired before the conclusion of their first season on the job. Bobby Petrino, that didn't end well at Arkansas either. Bad motor scooter, Bobby. You know, he had his girlfriend on the back, I guess. Remember that press conference where he showed like, up with the neck brace where he looked like he was walking into the people's court 
you know. <laughs> Here's Bobby. He That's had a about, motorcycle accident. Like, the Bobby Petrino <laughs> saga <laughs> is about the only thing comparable to what has transpired in Jacksonville under Urban Meyer's watch. Urban <laughs> Meyer, and he allegedly kicked a kicker, right? That's the latest thing that happened? Yeah, that's right. Uh, he's grabbing he ass in his right. restaurant. <laughs> he's kicking kickers, grabbing ass. I mean, he is basically the equivalent of the pole assassin in G of the Monkey. And let's not forget, he apparently called all his assistant coaches losers, right? Bunch of losers. And made them stand up and defend their resumes or something like that. This guy, like, he has, makes Tom Herman likable. Has he always been like this or... Was it just was this side of him just not exposed until he got to the NFL? I, you know, here's the deal. That's the biggest question for me at this point. Think about who he had on his staff at Ohio State. Think of all the, uh, you know, Tebow. Of course, uh, I'm talking about the original Tebow, uh, Florida Gator Tebow. Uh, you know, he had the uh, sunshine and uh, and all of the stuff that he promoted, which I'm fine with. You know, I'm a believer myself. But you also had Aaron Hernandez there. Uh, think about who Urban Meyer had on his staff at Ohio State, both Zach Smith and Tom Herman. It all makes so much sense. Quality why, individuals, Why right? didn't we see this coming, Mike? I, You know, I, I don't know. I, uh, Urban just, Meyer has had many a scumbag operate under Meyer his watch. Urban Meyer went all Walter White. He went from Walter White to Heisenberg, basically, this season. Think he's cooking meth with uh, Jesse Pinkman somewhere at the RV in the that's, desert? That's what they do in that region of Florida. Golly, that is. But uh, I, I don't like normally to see people get fired, but when I did see that Urban Meyer was fired, I was kind of happy about that. You can't help but be happy. By it the way, doesn't seem why like did, he's a why good did dude. we expect that that was going to end any other way than the way it ended because the Jacksonville Jaguars are potentially the most dysfunctional organization in professional sports, save for the New York Knicks who are in comparable levels of dysfunctional. But even the New York Knicks have been remotely competent lately. The closest the Jaguars have ever come to competence was blowing a fourth quarter lead to Tom Brady in the 2017 AFC championship game. Mm -hmm. And that like, if you think back to that 2017 season, the Jaguars went like 10 and six that year. And that was, look at, that was Blake Bortles, too, wasn't yes, it? Yes, and it was entirely out of the blue. I think they went 3-13 and 13 the previous year, and I want to say they went 4-12 and 12 the next year. Yeah. So they had their one shot at glory, and instead they gave Tom Brady his, what, six? Uh, they, they didn't win the championship that year. It was the, They lost to the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Think what, what the man has done to Trevor Lawrence, too, man. I mean, he's supposed to be a can't-miss prospect. Trevor Lawrence threw four picks last week. Uh, man, it's, uh, I don't know. I've never, the Jaguars to me are just one of those organizations. You're kind of like, Meh. move them, move them, pick them up and move them, relocate them. Oklahoma city. Sure. Why not? Oklahoma city could support an NFL team, right? Play right just there like, at Taft stadium. But like, listen, it worked for the Ravens, right? Like they dissociated from the Cleveland Browns identity when that franchise moved. And within five years, they won a Super Bowl. Which had never been done in Cleveland. So, like, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe correlation doesn't equal causation. But hey, what harm can come from just picking everything up, moving operations to some other football city? Because Jacksonville is not a football city. That's the thing. That's like by far the smallest NFL market in the country. So, uh, does Urban Meyer ever coach again, or does he just fade away? 
Who's going to hire it? Well, right. I shouldn't say that. I mean, some, a college some, program. Some school would. will hire him. Some like low down FBS group of five institution that's looking to make a splash will hire Urban Meyer. It'll happen. If he wants to keep coaching, he'll always have a job. I don't know where, but he'll have a job. You know who the greatest college coaches turned pro coaches are, of course. Barry by God Switzer and Jimmy Johnson, right? Championships on both levels. Nick Saban didn't didn't fa- uh, didn't succeed. Steve Spurrier eh, didn't succeed. Urban Meyer, mushroom cloud, total dumpster fire. Who am I leaving out? Somebody else from the John McKay when he was at Southern Cal back in the sixties and seventies. He did. You know, Tampa Bay was a laughing stock for a while. They got a little bit better. I think it's an interesting point you bring up there, Mike, because it's it's actually a very compelling point. Very rarely do you see coaches have great success at the collegiate level and great success at the NFL level. Really, the only one Chip who's Kelly? done it in the twenty first century is Pete Carroll. There's one, yes. I forgot about Pete Carroll at Southern Cal. Yeah, so Chip, Chip Kelly, Barry Switzer, Jimmy so Johnson, and uh, uh, Pete Carroll. Unless I'm Nobody leaving else somebody else it. out. And we're talking about former college head coaches, you know, because like Vince Lombardi was an assistant coach, you know, I think he was at Army for a while or whatever. But we're talking about successful college head coaches who went on to really good success in the NFL. Air Comfort Solutions text line, if you're going to try and make Jacksonville good, just try and hire a Tony Dungy to run the whole organization. That's actually a great idea. Like, at this mm-hmm. point, replace everyone on staff with just Tony Dungy. You can't do any worse. No, that's a good idea. That is a good idea. All right, we're going to break right here. Thank you to Tim Lasher, Lasher Home Comfort Systems, our sponsor for the first hour here on Steel Man and Thune at noon. We have Brandon Rabar coming up. We will talk recruiting and hear from Brent Venables when we get back. Appreciate you being here with us on a Thursday. We're just getting warmed up, folks. Keep it here. This is your home for Sooner fans. The Ref Sports Radio Network. Ah, welcome back. Brent Venables, the new man in Oklahoma. And the old man was there as well yesterday at the press conference, Bob Stoops. Bob's not old, though. He's young at heart. And uh, what a solid he has done for Oklahoma football, Bob Stoops, by the way. You were there yesterday. What did you think of the uh, get-together? Man, (laughs) it was actually the first time I've ever been able to sit in on a Bob Stoops press conference. So, I mean, that was like, that was kind of an eye-opening experience for me because obviously as I was growing up, right, Bob Bob Stoops was the head coach. That was all I knew about Oklahoma football or not, not all I knew about Oklahoma football, but all I knew Oklahoma football to be is Oklahoma football under Bob Stoops, right? And so uh, he retired two months before I moved to Oklahoma, so... I never got the chance to interact with Bob Stoops in a press conference setting. And naturally, these days, Mike, most of the university press conferences, most of the athletic press conferences that take place, take place during our show. So don't get a chance to drop in on those. But yesterday, being that it was National Signing Day at all, uh, I made an extra effort to get out there. And and (sighs) two legends, two absolute legends in Brent Venables and Bob Stoops. And... Make no mistake, like, 
Brent Venables doesn't need this Oklahoma job to be considered a legend at all. This is Brent Venables taking the Oklahoma job because he views it as his last job. I really do believe that's the case because he had a nice cushy gig as Clemson's defensive coordinator. He had job security. He was making plenty of money. He'd taken that program or helped take that program to two national championships. And yet here he is at Oklahoma in embracing what is actually a new challenge. Yeah. Mule shoe. Um, but no, I thought, I thought Brent Venables uh, offered some really interesting insights on the nature of his work over the last week and a half because it's such a tight spot for a coach to be put in, right, when – he ha- he's tasked with filling out the remainder of a recruiting class that's in shambles 10 days before National Signing Day when he takes the job. And they did a very good job, there's no doubt about it. Jeff Levy paying dividends uh, also, bringing in Nick Evers and uh, bringing in, uh, you know, Jaden Gibson. That's and I know, big time. And I know we've hit on it before, but you can't say enough about Bob Stoops' role oh, in stabilizing huge. everything. Huge. For him to go out and be making in-home visits while the Sooners were in the process of hiring Venables. That was huge, and that was a critical factor in all of it because Bob there is was nobody, the glue, man. Bob was the glue in this deal. Well, and there's nobody sure. that knows Oklahoma football, and there's nobody that has that breadth of knowledge to sell Oklahoma football more than Bob Stoops, right? Yeah. You talk about, like I said, Bob has reached uh, super legend status now after what he did, uh, you know, trying to keep things together and uh, keep the ship from hitting the iceberg, running straight at the iceberg, and he did just that. Uh, it seems to me that Brent, and Brent always seemed, you know, his first stint here at Oklahoma, uh, fiery guy, disciplined guy, goal-oriented guy, you know, handsome, young, dynamic, all of that stuff. You knew this guy was on the right track when he was at Oklahoma. You knew he had what it took to rise in the in the uh, coaching ranks in college football. But it does seem like he gained a little bit of a different perspective on life also with Dabo there at Clemson, does it not? And that was one thing he touched on yesterday in his press conference too, and I think it was in response to a question as to whether he was going to recruit the guys, like a definitive answer as to whether he was going to recruit the guys that he'd been previously recruiting at Clemson. And he said, look, my relationship with Dabo Sweeney goes way beyond the football field. That mm-hmm. guy's family to me, and yeah. so I'm going to treat him as such. And that's the reason why you haven't seen Brett Venables try to – get Clemson guys in the portal and bring them to Oklahoma or to recruit Clemson's commits down the stretch in the 2022 cycle. Brent Venables is committed to doing everything the right way because that's the amount of respect that he has for Dabo Sweeney as a man and as a football coach. Well, and he's doing it unlike Muleshoe. Muleshoe is swimming in the cesspool trying to get everybody that he had in Oklahoma, Hey, they did get two more commitments yesterday, which brings them to a whopping six. Really? So what are they uh, in the rankings now, like 89th or something? Like 80-something. But and I respect that about Brent Venables because character matters in the long run with stuff. You know, you can get away away with being a weasel for a while, but eventually that weaselness catches up to you. So I, I like his perspective, and uh, obviously he took a lot of things from Bill Snyder, took a lot of things from Bob Stoops during his tenure at Oklahoma. Uh, and he, you know, he went out and started over. Not, I mean, he didn't start over, but he gained a new perspective and learned that you can do things another way, too, at Clemson. And it seems like uh, the timing is right for Brent Venables now with uh, this new perspective and all the old stuff that he learned, uh, you know, with Bob and Bill Snyder and now kind of the newer way, maybe with Dabo 
it's all going to help him very much as the uh, Sooners head football coach. All right, let's hear from Brent yesterday talking about, uh, you know, the, what did he have, 10 days, I think it was, to try and save a class and create uh, a class, the 2022 class. And uh, Brent said yesterday that he thinks things, uh, things kind of came together well for the Sooners. Well, again, the recruiting always has been and always will be about, about building relationships and trust, uh, understanding of who each other are. Um, what I think is a testament to keeping uh, uh, the vast majority of the class together um, from the, since, I, since the day I hit the ground running. There was a few decommitments prior to ever even getting a chance to get in front of them. Uh, but uh, the, the young people they got a chance to get in front of, what I think was very evident um, right away for me was that how good of a job the staff had done in, at creating uh, loyalty, uh, deep-seated relationships um, that kind of get you through a time like this. Uh, we've got a you know a tremendous product to, to sell. It's exciting for me. It's easy. Uh, I am passionate about Oklahoma, Oklahoma football, uh, the tradition, the excellence. Uh, I understand deeply what that looks like, and uh, so I think that comes across uh, in the living room, you know, of uh, you know, in front of these prospects and their families. All right, it is a different world in recruiting right now because uh, the transfer portal is a big part of it. Think about how that helped the Sooners last year. You know, all the guys they got in the transfer portal. What do they have, 16 signees, I think, in the 2021 class? That's right, but via the portal you get guys like Eric Gray, Wanya Morris, Key Lawrence, yeah. Mike Woods. You got a ton, uh, they got a ton of help uh, in the portal. Brent, um, how much will he use the portal? We don't know. It doesn't sound like he's a huge portal guy. But he did it, say I, yesterday. I think he'll pick and choose, right? It. If it's the right, if it's the right situation, and uh, I, I think you have to, man, if it's available, you know, because everybody else is going to use it. Uh, here is what Brent had to say about the influence now of all that nil money. I believe that you need to use it. Uh, to your advantage um, in, in every way that you, you possibly can uh, within the rules. Um, but that shouldn't be the, f- the, the, the focus, again, of your program. And uh, we're, we, we want to attract players and families that are looking for all of it. And, again, the holistic piece. But if that's where all the focus is, then maybe, maybe those values don't align. We want to be able to provide um, in an advantageous way opportunities for our guys to um, enhance all those opportunities, um, all within the rules. Uh, and so I think we got to do a good job of knowing what are those, because I think there's some creativity uh, that you see it's going across college football. Um, but I'm all for, for players um, that have the opportunity. They have the, the, the brand, if you will. They have the stage. They have those opportunities to, um, uh, again, create maybe a short-term better quality of life for, for both them or, and or their families. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with that, but at the end of the day, I don't think – if that's the decision maker, um, if that's um, what you know breaks the camel's back, uh, so to speak, it is what it is. There's plenty of great players that, that stand for, for the things that we value the most, education, uh, holistic development, opportunity to be successful, being a, in a winning locker room, in a winning environment, to be challenged in every part of their life. If that's all their focus is, you know, you know more power to them. All right, interesting uh, perspective on name image likeness, and uh, it's it's crazy. And uh, you're talking about the rules. Do we know what the rules are? Do we have any idea what the rules are with NIL? I, I mean, think everybody's still trying to figure out what the what's rules pay are. for play, and, and what is you know. And I, that was the issue. I think that all got rushed along. 
in hindsight, I think there were a lot of questions that should have been answered before NIL legislation was passed mm-hmm. that went unanswered because everyone was in such a rush uh, to get it on the table. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I, I see some changes coming with that. They're going to have to, uh, and again, and not saying that it's going to go away. It's not. It's here. It's here to stay. But, man, it is the wild, wild west right now. It, it's uh, – it looks pretty sleazy in some of these situations. I mean, these Texas offensive linemen that are supposed, or the uh, Texas players are supposed to be getting fifty grand each. You know, if you're on the roster, basically, that's that's crazy. A and M's got to be cheating. There's no way that A and M is doing this the right way. No way, no chance. They got a lot of money there. How do the Aggies have so much money? But they do. All right. Uh, thank you to Tim Lasher. Lasher Home Comfort Systems. Ladies and gentlemen, you will. You know the name, and you will have a lot of likeness for Tim Lasher and Lasher Home Comfort Systems. They've done work for us at Shea Stadium. They do a great job. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg either. They do it right. Okay, we got Brandon Rabar talking about Thunder basketball coming up next. It is a Thursday. Glad you're here. We'll also head to the Air Comfort Solutions text line coming up. Stay with us. This is your home for Sooner fans. The Ref Sports Radio Network. Temple reached for him, didn't get him, and gives Shea Gilchrist Alexander credit as Devontae sends it. Oh, gets it! Gets it! The game winner! Oh, wow! Devontae Graham stuns him in Oklahoma City! Just how you drew it up! After the Pels were shocked by Shea Gilchrist Alexander. Incredible! Ah, yes. Last night, Paycom Center. It looked like Shea had sent the game to overtime, but it was Devontae Graham, 61-foot heave at the buzzer that won it for the Pelicans. 113-110, to and uh, joining us to talk about it, our friend Brandon Rabard, DailyThunder.com. Brandon's been lost in all the uh, Sooner news recently, as uh, OU football (laughs) news has been dominating everything. But, Brandon, I don't know, maybe that's the perfect game for Oklahoma City fans last night. Very exciting. The crowd was really into it. Pretty decent crowd for two teams that had only won eight games coming in, and then you get uh, this incredible finish. Really, uh, you can argue the most amazing finish in NBA history, at least for a regular season game. So, And you lose. So, yeah. you know, that's pretty. That's a pretty good night for Oklahoma City fans. Yeah, it really was kind of the perfect scenario in this season. And this season where you're rebuilding, you know, you had Shea play like a superstar. I mean, he was absolutely dominant. He makes that miracle shot there at the end. Uh, Giddy looked like a Rookie of the Year candidate. Trey Mann, again, was just like a walking human highlight reel. Uh, Mascala and Kenrich were great off the bench once again. And that finish was just so incredible to watch live. I mean, r- really, you could argue the, the best last five seconds of any regular season NBA game. Uh, and it's funny because it was such for a low-stakes game. But this was the perfect scenario because you still improve your odds 
to end up getting like Paolo or Jabari Smith Jr. or Chet Holmgren, uh, which is what the Thunder ultimately want this season. And against the Pelicans team, you know, that had the same uh, amount of wins coming into last night. So you're going to be fighting the Pelicans for those lottery odds. It really was kind of the perfect scenario. You know, you're right. The crowd was really into it. And I think it was, you know, it was heartbreaking after seeing Shea tie it with that miracle shot. But then you just kind of tip your hat. You know, if you lose off a 61-foot heave, the longest, by the way, game winner in NBA history. So you saw NBA history last night. It's just kind of the perfect scenario, Mike. Let me ask you then, Brandon, you were talking about some of the guys that Oklahoma City will be in play for in the NBA draft next year. Who do you want? As you evaluate this, if you are Sam Presti, and let's say you have – Okay, we'll say you have the, for, just for the sake of the example and the sake of the hypothetical, we'll say you have the number one overall pick. Which player makes the most sense, or what type of player makes the most sense for the Thunder in your eyes? I think Paolo Boncaro is perfect from Duke. Uh, he's probably going to be the number one pick. I mean, it still could be one of the other guys like Jamari or uh, Chet Holmgren. The Thunder need a big to go along with Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Lou Dort, and Josh Giddy. Those three, I mean, there's some other guys, young guys that the Thunder have that will be a part of the core moving forward and have a lot of upside and Trey Mann and Poku and some of those other guys. But those three guys are definite core members that you can build around in Shea, Lou, and uh, Giddy. Those are all guards. I mean, Giddy is 6'8", 6'9", but he's technically a point guard. So you want a big, whether it's a power forward or a center, and you want somebody that can play defense, uh, and you want somebody that can score. Paolo is all those guys. I mean, he's he's 6'10", he can play power forward, he can play a small ball center, he can score, he can play defense. He's kind of all of the above. He checks all the boxes. Uh, but you wouldn't be upset with Chet Holmgren or Jamari Smith Jr. either because – this draft is loaded with bigs, and those three guys, all bigs that would fit in seamlessly with the uh, Thunder Young Corps. Brandon Rabar, our guest, DailyThunder.com, here on uh, Steel Man and Thune on the Ref Radio Network here on a Thursday. And, uh, Brandon, I'm looking at, and, and we've talked about this before when you've been on, you know, Oklahoma City is trying to be competitive and tank at the same time, which is, that that's an art form right there. But I think yeah. one, and we've always talked about the way you do it is you do it with minutes and lineups and who is on the floor, you know, at critical junctures and games. And, and I'm not saying, you know, you take your entire starting five out or whatever. I think they've been fairly subtle about this. One of the ways I look at it, Brandon, is the minutes for Mike Muscala who is shooting 44% from three. He's had a great year, but I don't know what he's averaging minutes-wise. I always see him, it looks like he's getting like 12, 13 minutes a game. Is that one of the ways that Oklahoma City's going about this, just the minutes that they get for it? Like I said, Muscala's having a career-type year, and yet he's not playing major minutes. He's playing some, but not major minutes. No, you absolutely nailed it, 100%. He's shooting 44% from three. I mean, he's he's just absolutely nuts. He's a microwave scorer coming off the bench, and he could he could really help this Thunder team win more games. Uh, same with Kenrich Williams, and you saw it last night. Those two guys were so good off the bench last night, and they they both sat the last several minutes of the game. They, they got subbed in for the two rookies, uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Aaron Wiggins. Uh, those are two second-round rookies that you're, you know, you could have played in a close game down the stretch, Muscala and Kenrich Williams. 
but the Thunder, if they win games off the back of, of rookies, young core members, they can live with that. But as we saw last year, if you're going to win games because of the likes of Muscala, Kenrich Williams, or Al Horford or George Hill, that's a tougher pill to swallow because those guys aren't going to be around for the long haul. And you're just messing up your lottery odds with those guys. So, you know, you nailed it. If, if thinking competitively is an art form, then last night was like the Mona Lisa, the Sistine Chapel, because it was a masterpiece. Uh, Muscala and Kenrich helped Shea and Giddy. Uh, make that game really close, competitive, exciting, and fun. But bench them those last few minutes, and uh, you got yourselves a game. Thoughts on Darius Baisley's play as of late, Brandon? Because you know you saw you saw the highs, such as the 15 point performance against Toronto last week, but then only two points last night against the Pelicans. So uh, some very hot and cold play throughout the season as a whole from Baisley. Uh, what's what's been your overall impression of his performance thus far? Yeah, you're right. You know, scoring, he's just so inconsistent. He's so up and down. Um, and, and really, when you look at his three-point percentage, it's below 30%, but he takes a lot of threes. Uh, but the thing with Baisley is he is a solid defender. He is still young. He's still only 21 years old. He's a good rebounder. He's a great shot blocker. So he can do things well. He has real NBA skills. The scoring is just so tough for him. It's the decision-making, like when to drive. Sometimes he'll drive, and there's two or three guys in the paint, and he still goes for it. Uh, he'll, he'll shoot threes that are well-defended and contested. Uh, it, it's the shot-making that's, that's up and down with Baisley. But the Thunder do like the other things he brings to the table. You know, he's, he's a hard one to, to guess as far as will he be a member of this core going forward. I don't know, like I said earlier, Shea, Lou, and Giddy, those are the three guys. And Baisley is just a question mark still. He's still young. The Thunder's still invested in him. Uh, they like what he can do, but the scoring is, has got to improve. All right, Brandon, before we let you go, uh, your thoughts on Steph Curry, that magical night at Madison Square Garden. Uh, it couldn't have been a better place. I know Warriors fans would have loved to have seen that, you know, on their home floor. But what a place for Steph Curry to break Ray Allen's record. And um, just your thoughts on Steph, too, because I think Oklahoma City fans maybe have gone through a transformation. Every warrior was less likable when Kevin Durant was there. But, man, you have to appreciate what Steph Curry has done for basketball. He's changed the way we play the game with with modern basketball, the way he shoots the three. Just your thoughts. Yeah, you're exactly right. I think that, you know, during the heat of those – Thunder Warriors battles when the Thunder were a contender, and especially when KD was there, you couldn't really appreciate Steph Curry because he was an enemy. Even though he was always a classy guy, he was the classiest of the Warriors, really him and Clay. Uh, but now stepping back, I think that Thunder fans can like appreciate him more, like you said, because he's not an enemy anymore. It doesn't matter if the Warriors win because the Thunder aren't there right now. Uh, he changed the game, honestly. He changed the game of basketball. I mean, you see it now. I mean, everybody's got to be able to shoot. You got to be able to space the floor. Uh, there's so much emphasis on three-point shooting, and it trickles down. It's not just the NBA. It's trickled down to the college game, the high school game. It trickles down to pickup games when you're playing at the Hive or or the Lighthouse here in Oklahoma City. Uh, I mean, everybody's shooting threes. Uh, it's it's he was a game changer, and his shooting ability is just absolutely nuts. I mean, he's. He really is an all-time great, and it's it's especially impressive because he's such a small guy, uh, not just his height, but you know physically he's he's not a 
imposing guy and to be able to change the game of basketball, which is dominated by, by huge dudes, uh, just really, really impressive from, from Steph. Brandon, great to have you back. We appreciate it, and we'll do it again soon. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work. Brandon Rabar, DailyThunder.com. And what's amazing for the Warriors, they have the best record in the league right now, and Clay Thompson is coming back. It's not that far away. Clay's just about ready to come back. Oh, boy. And uh, Splash Bros really yes, about to wreak havoc on this reunited league. Reunited. We thought we were in the clear, so Mike. Good. Yes. Uh, you know, I remember when Mark Jackson was the coach out there and he first said that these are the, the, the greatest, they're going to be the greatest shooting tandem of all time. And we're kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah, all right, they're good, but come on. He was right. He was absolutely right. All right, we'll break right here. Air Comfort Solutions tax line available to you, 405 651 3439. That's 405 651 3439. Anything you want to ask us, we'll answer it for you as best we can. Hit us up. Hit us up on the Air Comfort Solutions tax line. We'll go there. We'll also talk some recruiting updates when we get back here on The Ref. This is your home for Sooner fans. The Ref Sports Radio Network. I know when that line bleed. That can only mean one thing. Hey, that's one of the things we didn't get. During the uh, coaching transition was the Drake the concert. Drake concert. That's what happened right. to the Drake concerts? Well, that was going to be – I think that was what everybody was betting on if it was going to be Dabo, right? Because I guess Dabo and Drake are buddies. So, you know, there were those there were those rumors floating around for a while that Dabo was in the running. Why Why did we – did anybody ever believe that Dabo was – I mean – Oh, because believe me, Mike, believe me, Mike, that was coming from people within the athletic department. Like – <laughs> Which athletic think, department, Clemson or OU? OU. Like, yeah. and believe me, I don't think anybody that was taking the coaching search seriously ever bought it. Mm-hmm. But I remember. Oh, it was definitely just, out there. I remember I mean, publishing. It was definitely out there. I remember publishing a note on OU Insider, and I was just basically like, look. I can't really believe I'm writing this, but there's just enough floating around that I have to say it's something like, about it. It's kind of it wasn't as much as the Lincoln Riley to LSU smokescreen or whatever the heck that no, was, there was for a while, but there was some there was a little buzz around that for a while. It had some people believing that that was a possibility. Yeah. So, and Drake was at the Thunder game because he was getting ready to perform, you know, at the concert, at the Welcome Dabo concert. Think maybe we could get Drake Dyken to do a concert instead. Drake Dyken, he is, just walked you in. You talking about a hip dude? Drake Dyken is super hip. He just walked into the office and uh, handed me a new stack of logs for tomorrow. So I was like, "Oh, speak, speak of the devil, it's Drake." You sound like you're uh, Paul Bunyan over there, or something like you're going to be at logs, meaning for the uh, commercials. Yes. It's not like he's going to be chopping firewood after the show, folks. All right, Air Comfort Solutions text line four zero five. Uh, oh, I almost got my numbers confused there. 405-651-3439 is the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Law Offices of Rod Polson, Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line is 405-329-9000. But to the text line, 651-3439. What are we hearing on Kennedy Brooks, DTY, or Braden Willis on coming back for the COVID year? I'm pretty confident that you will see DTY and Braden Willis back. That would Kennedy be big. Brooks, that would be big. Kennedy Brooks. That's um, a bit more of a mystery right but now. But again, as you detailed the other day, he's got a chance to really 
improve his legacy at Oklahoma and become and he, you know, he's already a good running back. I think he's one of the most still underrated running backs the Sooners have ever had uh, because he doesn't have the God-given ability of an Adrian Peterson or Billy Sims or DeMarco Murray. But he can become the Sooners' all-time leading rusher and the first guy to rush for 1,000 yards in four seasons. That's right. You know what's crazy to think about is the fact that Oklahoma's school record holder for rushing yards is Samaj P. Ryan, right. who skipped his senior year. Uh, yeah. If he hadn't skipped his senior year, it is him and a wide margin between him and everybody else. Like I'm trying to do the math in my head. He pass, He's like 40 yards ahead of Billy Sims. He didn't eclipse Sims's mm-hmm. previous mark by much. But at the rate he was rushing, right, you're looking at another 1200 1300 yards particularly in that 2017 Oklahoma offense which yeah. would have been his senior year. Right. Oh man. It would have been easily easily in the 5500 yard range for well, this he got course of his career. Nearly 500 of those on that rain-soaked day, you know, against Kansas. And he, that was as a true freshman. Amazing, isn't it? Well, Steely, we have one texter on the Air Comfort Solutions text line who has elevated you to demigod status. Really? Yes. Well, that's a mistake. Parker, I really appreciate your takes, but please don't ever interrupt Steely when he's blessing us with his angelic voice. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Well, thank you for ever sent that. Uh, Parker, believe me, he's way ahead of the game at his age, I'm telling you. I thought I got a pretty good start coming out of OU, but I think Parker is uh, even a lap up on me. Uh, when I when I left school. So. Brian says via the Air Comfort Solutions text line, is there an unwritten rule in college football that if you leave a program, you leave their commits alone? That's what irks me most about Muleshoe. Not that he left, but mm-hmm. that he's poaching. No, I, I get that. I Look, um, I, I don't know, but I would think that's probably kind of fr- – I guess back in the day that would have been, you know, back in my day, by God. Um, that it was probably frowned upon and not the uh, not the coolest deal. I mean, what was the rule back in the day? If, you know, your friend had a, a girlfriend that was pretty hot and you liked, but if he broke up with her, you were not. <laughs> that was no. That was That's a beautiful analogy, That Mike. is what you don't do that. You don't go after, you know, your best friend's girl. Was that the cars? My best friend's girl? Um, you don't do that. But, look, college football is a down-and-dirty business, and it appears to me that Muleshoe, who I'm sure is a quality human being in some areas, but in this area, he is, he is uh, he's playing down-and-dirty. Down-and-dirty, in my opinion. He did the Sooners dirty the way he left, and then again, uh, you know, trying to poach these recruits. Brent Venables didn't do it, right? Brent Venables is handling this with all class. Yes. Muleshoe. Not as much. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, that was the rule. You never did that, but old Mule Shoe, man, he's going to. The minute he got on that plane out to La La Land, I think he was making phone calls. All right, another hour to go. Keep it here on the ref. It's time for the Steelman and Thune at noon with Mike Steely and Parker Thune. Hit the guys up on the law offices of Rod Pulse and Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line at 405-329-9000 
or shoot the guys a text on the Air Comfort Solutions text line at 405-651-3439. Live from the Brown O'Haver Studios, here's Mike Steely and Parker Thune. All right, today is a great day to get out to Riverwind Casino and uh, utilize that wild card. That wild card is very important. Uh, If you've been out to Riverwind, you know what you can do with that wild card. Get the extra entries for these incredible drawings for cash and bonus play. And uh, tonight until midnight, play with your wild card for every five points in your wild card, including five times the entries on Thursdays. That's today, so get out there. And uh, use that wild card today. Gets the uh, extra entries for the uh, big drawing for the $40,000 Holidays on Us promotional drawing. That uh, drawing is on Saturday from 7 to 10.30. They award three patrons with $400 in bonus play. Then each night at 11 p.m., two grand prize winners will receive a $2,000 gift card bundle with $400 gift cards to Target, Walmart, Best Buy, Amazon, and a Visa gift card. So get out and play with your wild card. Get the extra entries for the $40,000 Holidays on Us promotional drawing happening on Saturday nights from 7 to 10.30. The $60,000 Rudolph's Riches promotion, that drawing, is on Friday night. And again, for all the Friday night drawings, you need to be playing with your wild card Monday and Tuesday to get five times the entries by getting a few points on your wild card. Then you'll have a greater chance to hear your name called. You can head on out Friday or Saturday, have a great meal, make it date nights, uh, the River Buffet, Friday night is steak night, Saturday night is seafood night, Chips and Ales Pub Restaurant, where I'll be doing my uh, streaming show today from 3 to 5, is always a great option as well. You're always going to eat well and have a great chance to win out at Riverwind. Okay, how big of a hero is Bob Stoops? He's a hero in all caps now, right, with several exclamation points based on what he's done. He is the biggest hero for Oklahoma football since who? My, I mean, who was the last man that did something this noble for the program and has been met with the type of reverence? Over the last three weeks, as well, I mean, Switzer has always, uh, you know, been the king, and Barry had a few detractors. Not many, though. You know, he was always, you know, at least at one point perceived as kind of one of the outlaw coaches in college football. But if you get to know Barry Switzer and what he does for people and his personality and all of that stuff, his players swear by him. You know, he when he recruited those guys, he always said, you know, you're a Sooner for life, and he's lived that example. So Bud Wilkinson was revered. But I can't remember anybody else coming, though, to do what Bob has done. And somebody, you know, tweeted us the other day and said, you, you guys are acting like Bob Stoops just came back and did the greatest thing ever, you know. Most of the coaches would have done that. I'm like, really? I, I mean, I don't know that it's automatic that they would have done that, but um, – I think what Bob did was was great. And, uh, again, winning his coach in OU history. Didn't get the national championships that uh, Bud or Barry got, but he got one, and he had a great track record and uh, lasted 18 years. And um, he's always been well-respected here in Norman and around uh, the college football community, and I think he's garnered even more respect uh, from Sooner fans. So did uh, – what was it like at your first Bob Stoops presser yesterday? 
<laughs> well, we got we got an anyway. So anyway, yeah, got one of those. Get, so anyway, I'm trying to think. I had my I had my mental steely Bob Stoops bingo card. He also does uh, at the end of the day. So anyway, yep. okay, we got one of those. Yep, yep. Um, and my my favorite things about Bob. But when he's trying to transition from one thought to another, that's when he'll give you a so so anyway. Uh yeah. You know. Uh but we got the uh <laughs> one of the beat writers <laughs> went up and shook his hand after the press conference was over and said, Thanks, Bob and he just kinda kept walking. He was just like, Okay. Yeah. Uh, Bob is not a look at me, I need the attention kind of guy. No. You know, he's not that he's not that way. He's about coaching up the team, you know, doing the job, and he's he's not looking for the limelight. I respect that about him a lot. So I always enjoyed when Bob would use drop the East Popcorn State line every now and then. Hey, we're not playing East Popcorn State here, okay? Um, but also the uh, John Hoover to Bob Stoops questions were always – Interesting. Yeah, those two had a bit of a tempestuous relationship over the years. Yeah, I that kind of preceded me, but mm-hmm. no, I've. Uh, that was a stupid question then. Thanks to stupid question now. All right. <laughs> uh, those clips live forever. So uh, anyway, I just did it right there. Uh, let's hear from Bob and uh, let's see what he has to say about Brent Venables. He is uh, confident that Brent Venables is the guy that could help the Sooners get over the hump and win a championship. I love the fact that what they've been doing at Clemson is different than what we're doing here, so I think he brings some great new ideas and and thoughts and ways to run the program and what you need to do to get us from being that, you know, 11-2, and 10-2 team that's number five in the country to 15, somewhere in there. Maybe this is what, you know, gets us in these next few years over the hump to be that, you know, be that national champion and in the playoffs all the time. I know we've been in a good bit, but I think this can help us even more. He has that background to get it done. Been there and done that. Did it with the Sooners, obviously, in 2000. Did it twice with Clemson. So uh, Sooner fans are certainly hoping that is the case. Here's what Bob Stoops had to say about, you know, the work that he did and uh, also his uh, take on this Sooners recruiting class. Uh, I was more than happy to jump in uh, 10 days ago or whenever it was two weeks ago to to go out and visit with eight or nine guys. And uh, I, I was amazed at the quality. I don't know why I'd be amazed. Maybe because I've been out of it for five years recruiting. The quality of young men that we've got coming in this program is absolutely incredible and, and great families around them. So that was really fun and and. For the most part, most all those guys held tight and, and, and stayed with us. And, and that's the power of Oklahoma, which I preached about back then as well, that just give it a little bit of time. There's a lot of great football coaches out there that really fit this program, and I think we found the absolute best one. There you go. Bob Stoops yesterday at the press conference. Uh, it was a joint press conference with Brent and Bob. Pretty good. It was just like old times, Mike. Like, you know, because I, I grew up watching Bob Stoops and Brent Venables, Oklahoma Sooners. You haven't lived until you've been to a Howard Schnellenberger press conference, though. They <laughs> brought me in here and I'll run the wishbone. I mean, that dude would chug a beer before the press conference. That is an Oklahoma – well, he's not an Oklahoma alpha male, but he was an alpha male. 
Something like that. Howard Ugh. had, at one point, he had his press conference. Was it at the Bricktown Brewery or, uh, like, Tapworks or something? I'm trying to remember. He had a press conference there? Yes. Oh, I need to hear this story. Now, that was, and the word was from somebody very deep inside the program. I mean, really deep. That Howard, like, chugged a beer before one of the press conferences in the back room and then walked out. That is legendary. Oh, that's legendary. It'd be a lot more legendary if he hadn't gone, what, 5-5-1 five, five, and one in his single season and then gotten kicked to the curb. Oh, my god! He was drinking more than his players. That was, uh, that was the most interesting year of Oklahoma football ever. Now, we, this was an interesting year, too, when you consider everything that happened, you know. But in terms of comic relief, it started out, you know, and some of the OU fans, you know, Howard had a reputation. He won the uh, the national championship in Miami with Bernie Kosar. They beat that Nebraska team that had the triplets with uh, Turner Gill, Irving Fryer, and Mike Rozier. That was a really good Nebraska team. Tom Osborne, all you had to do was kick the extra point, and Howard would have never won his championship, wouldn't have wound up at Oklahoma. Maybe not anyway. But and then he went to Louisville, did a nice job there, and uh, winds up at Oklahoma. And man, that dude thought had a high opinion of himself. Changed the uniforms. Uh, told some people, "Hero championship for me." I mean, the audacity of that dude, Howard Schnellenberger. Uh, may, he, may he rest in peace. The only, see the I don't know much about Howard Schnellenberger again because that precedes me. But his whole, I, I think what he's most known for is the whole state of Miami thing when he was down there. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Where it was just like hyper localized recruiting. Yeah, yeah. And I, to be fair, it worked. It were they won a national championship. Yeah, you blame Tom Osborne for that, but. A, a ring is a ring. At least he went for it, man. Turner Gill's pass was just behind Jeff Smith. Or they would have won it. They would have won it, but they probably wouldn't have won the national championship had he kicked the extra point. All right, Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. That is 405-651-3439 uh, today. So, uh, once again, by the way, we want to thank our friends at the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley for sponsoring our second hour. It's Exit 72 for a great deal on a vehicle from the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. You want to get back to the text line? Yeah, Kendall wants to know, can Steely do an entire show or at least a segment in Howard's voice? <laughs> I don't know if that would go over very yeah, well. Yeah, pro- probably not. I mean, uh, the bits have to be shorts. Once they go too long, people yeah, get too start tired. To, start you know, to lose so. their luster. Yes, they do. But, I, you know, maybe we can get him back on the Heavenly Hotline uh, tomorrow or something. Who knows? I remember <laughs> Howard, though. I guess the memory was going a little bit, too, because and that's nothing to make fun of, but I remember when Howard was asked about well, Coach, can you break down your first opponent for us? And they were playing uh, San Diego State. And Howard was like, well, we're certainly uh, busy preparing right now and getting ready for. And then he kind of looked around. We'll be ready for San Diego. All right, we'll be ready for San Diego. That was it. That was a Howard press conference moment. All right, we're going to break right here when we get back. Urban Meyer, he gone. 
We'll talk about it next. This is your home for Sooner fans. The Ref Sports Radio Network. Because the drinks bring back all the memories. And the memories bring back memories. Bring back your... There's a time that I remember. All right, we're back. We, uh, so we determined that uh, Adam Levine was somewhere in the top five of auto-tuners, right? That's right, we did. But uh, T-Pain is the king. T-Pain, That's what everybody yeah, said on the text the line. The texter was right. Yeah, T-Pain kind of started the whole thing. But uh, So anyway, I wonder if we could do a show in auto-tune that might, or a segment in What would that sound like? Not, probably not very good. Probably not very good. Okay, uh, the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Great deal on a car or a truck. It's Exit 72 in Paul's Valley. uh, And go see Seth Wadley and his fine auto group there in Paul's Valley. A lovely place. They Don't they have the – what is the museum they have there? It's not the superheroes. uh, It's the action figures museum there, right? I think in Paul's Valley. Oh, I I couldn't tell you. (laughs) I'm not an Oklahoma local, Mike. Well, I'm uh, getting to the point where I'm better with uh, my understanding of the state of Oklahoma and all that it mm-hmm. uh, entails culturally, but I still have a ways to go. Oh, this is the center of world culture right here, the the great state of Oklahoma. There's no doubt about it. All right, uh, we're going to get back to some recruiting stuff in the uh, next segment. But remember uh, the urban denial the other day when the story came out over the weekend that Urban Meyer was basically abusing his assistant coaches, and this was before we learned that he – uh, allegedly kicked a kicker uh, as well. But this was the urban denial that he called his assistant coach all lo- coaches all losers. Calling someone a loser, that's inaccurate. I have high expectations for our coaches. i uh, very demanding of our coaches um, and expect guys to be held accountable for their positions. And at times uh, when they're not, those are we address it. Uh, but I assure you there is not whatever report Amy told me something about that that's nonsense am I worried about losing the locker room I always am worried about losing the locker room when you're two and whatever we are uh, but then I see what I saw and I see the guys play as hard as they possibly can I challenge our coaches I challenge our players and I challenge myself hey maybe the whole kicking the kicker thing mm-hmm. was just a motivational tactic you know how boxers get slapped in the face before they go in yeah. the ring he's like huh, maybe if I kick him <laughs> he'll kick better oh man so what should have been our first sign that Urban Meyer wasn't going to succeed in the NFL? The fact that he was taking the head coaching job for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Well, that's... That yeah, is that, an unwinnable battle. And you're right. But what about when Tim Tebow showed up for camp? You know? And again, he didn't make the team, but still, he was there for a while. I don't know if that's Urban just doing his old guy a favor that won him a national championship at Florida, but still, I yeah, don't know. I didn't know what to and – and I like – I wasn't the type to hate on it because I'm like, well, you know what? These things work themselves out. An NFL coach and an NFL front office is going to put the best 53 players on the field on the final roster one way or another. And if Tim Tebow makes it, great. He deserves it. If not, well – that spot will go to somebody who does. Mm-hmm. There are no mistakes on an NFL roster, Mike. When you're competing at the highest level like that, you cannot afford to have 52 
competent football players and one cupcake. Mm -hmm. That's the razor's edge. It is. So if Tim Tebow was good enough to make the Jaguars' final roster, he would have made the Jaguars' final roster, and evidently he wasn't good enough. He ended up getting cut. I wasn't – I wasn't uh, – how do I phrase this? The fact that Tim Tebow got a camp invite didn't bug me, I guess, because the way I looked at that, I figured, you know what, this will work itself out one way or another. And it did. He didn't make the team, obviously. But you think about it, all right, so Tebow gets to camp. You also had uh, – didn't he hire the uh, the strength and conditioning coach that had all the races That's right, marks yeah, the and everything? Old Iowa strength yeah, and that conditioning dude. coach. So that, you had that. Then he's grabbing ass – uh, you know, in that video, and blamed it in some ways on his grandkids. I mean, that's about as <laughs> yeah, that's low some as twisted you can logic. Go. Well, to the grandkids. How do the grandkids figure into you grabbing someone's <laughs> booty? The grandkids didn't suggest that. The grandkids had nothing to do with it. But somehow the grandkids got worked into that deal, and it's just a total disaster. We have any send-off music for Urban Meyer? I think we do, don't we? Yes. Let's. Here we go. Goodbye to you. Goodbye to you. Goodbye to you. Goodbye to you. Oh my! We're taking that- you back to the '80s with Patty Smythe and Scandal here on the Ref Radio Network. Is this the biggest flop in the history of coaching at the NFL level? Can you think of something that compares? You're you're older than I am. You have a larger oh, breadth man. of knowledge as it compa- as it pertains to this type of thing. Freddie Kitchens was pretty bad. Freddie um, Kitchens was bad, but the thing about that was nobody really figured he should have been the head coach in the first place. Like he didn't have the same stature mm-hmm. as Urban Meyer. He didn't have the same public image. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, I mean, Nick Saban in Miami was not a huge success, obviously, but um, I don't know. Help us out on the text line. The old man's memory (laughs) sometimes fails. Air Comfort Solutions text line. Air Comfort Solutions text line says he wasn't grabbing the booty. He had moved about a block and a half past that. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember how he worked the grandkids into that deal. Oh, this is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is a great text. Does Tebow get a look as the next Jaguars coach? That's that's our Tebow, by the way, not Tim <laughs> yeah, Tebow. I was about to say, right. not the yeah, first time Jacksonville right. would have taken a shot on Tebow. <laughs> that's right. Oh, man. Uh, Air Comfort Solutions text line available to you at 405-651-3439. Uh, haven't heard from Steely's uncle in a while. What does he think about Muleshoe Lee? Oh, well. Here, a little bit behind the times. He he's got he's had plenty to say about oh, Muleshoe leaving. Yeah, he's ripped the guy uh, a bunch. I don't. Maybe he'll come back on next week or something. We'll find out. Hey, I'm looking at all the uh, OU recruiting pictures. Um, you know, off SuiterSports.com. Uh huh. And I'm looking at the most intimidating picture is without question Alton Tarber. Alton Tarber. Yeah. I mean, it's no, nobody's in the same ballpark. You're not messing with Alton Tarber. 6'2", 305, coming out of high school? Yeah. Oh, boy. Imagine him at 325 at a pure nose tackle position after a year or two in Jerry Schmidt's weight room. That's going to be kind of terrifying. Yeah, it is. Uh, I would have to go Kobe McKenzie, probably second. 
And then Jake Taylor, third. You know who has an intimidating look to him a little bit is Gavin Sawchuck. Really? You think so? Well, yes. Just the picture I'm talking about. But Alton Tarver is like, that's the guy, you know, if you, you know, you meet uh, and he doesn't like you and he decides he really doesn't like you, you run as fast as you can. He's got that kind of look about him. And he was the. That's the kind of look you want a defensive tackle yes, to have. Yes, absolutely. And can we get some thick? On the defensive line, SEC thickness. It's about time. I've said it before. Alex Grinch didn't want anybody over 295 pounds on his defense. So and that's not going to fly in the SEC. Was was Brent asked about you know this transition to the SEC and are they you know they're clearly they are, but what do they have to do to become more of an SEC team? as opposed to what they were in the Big 12. And it's physicality, right? It is. I think it's hilarious that Alex Grinch doesn't want anybody over 295, and then within a week and a half of Brent Venables being announced as the head coach, he's got a commit who's 305 pounds. It's beautiful. Poetic, mm-hmm. even. Jaden Rowe looks pretty intimidating, too. But like I said, Alton Tarber's picture. Jaden Rowe, man, that dude, his ceiling in Brent Venables' scheme is off the charts. Just because his skill set. Could he be a Roy six, Williams type, you know, maybe that could play anywhere from maybe uh, just an unbelievable corner with his size or a safety? Here, the what? comp you hear more than any other is Isaiah Simmons. Okay. Because yeah. Brent Venables coached him at Clemson. Mm-hmm. He obviously ended up a first-round draft pick and is having a pretty dang solid NFL career. And physically, I think that, that comparison's right there in the same ballpark. So, kind of a chess piece you can move around. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like a a box safety type of guy, but you could also put him in the – you can just do a lot with a guy like that. Versatility, speed, physicality, Jaden Rowe has it. The, the plan, at least under Alex Grinch, Mike, was to turn Jaden Rowe into an edge rusher. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that happens under Venables because – You'd imagine that the edge rusher spot, at least as we came to know it under Alex Grinch with Nick Benito, uh, most commonly assuming that role, you would imagine that's a thing of the past now that uh, Grinch's modified 3-3-5 scheme is a thing of the past. And I'm interested to see what this defense is going to look like uh, next year. uh, And then, you know, you, how much time should you give it? By the way, we were thinking uh, 2023 for Oklahoma going into the SEC. Is that still kind of the thought process? Or you think I think it, might I play think out it happens in 2023. That is where I'm going to put my money right now. Just because that's when you have the other four new Big 12 teams right. coming in, right? And the Big 12 is not going to play with 14 teams. I mean, I guess they could in theory, but that just seems a little too asymmetrical for me. And also, I think OU and Texas are probably going to make a push at that point. Once the Big 12 has 12 for-sure teams to work with, OU and Texas are going to make an even bigger push to get out of the Big 12 and into the SEC immediately because money. Do you think that Bob Bowlesby will remember that they're expanding in uh, 2023? Let's hope so. I mean, I, who knows I... if, he's still, if he's still the commissioner. But because, again, if... <laughs> The whole thing. Oh, my gosh. When he was standing up there at the podium at uh, Media Days that they weren't really worried about 
there hasn't been any buzz about, you know, conference, conference realignment or transformation. And then meanwhile, Josie and Chris Del Conte have got their fingers on the nuclear button. Boom. By the way, Dylan Gabriel has committed to UCLA. And uh, one, okay. of our, yeah. one of our texters on the Air Comfort Solutions text line asks, is that true? Yes, it's true. Good on the Caleb front? Very good on the Caleb front. Very good. I got to tell you, I, I don't think Caleb Williams is going anywhere. No, I don't think he I is I really either. don't. And look, it, would I be 100% shocked if he came out after the ball game and said, yeah, I'm, you know, maybe he's going somewhere else? I wouldn't be totally shocked, but I, I've got a good feeling about him staying. The Sooner Summit guys are still here, right? There's, uh, let me think here. Yeah, they're all still here. Nobody transferred yet. I mean, the dude is already one, you know, one of the most beloved Sooner players we've seen in a while around here. I mean, it, it would be hard for him to leave, too. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that every school in the country wouldn't be interested in the kid. They absolutely would. But based on he's already built uh, a great fan following here. He is the most popular guy on the team. He's going to get NIL money. And I think he's going to continue to grow and, and become an even better quarterback. Uh, and I think, um, you know, for me, I, I just have a good feeling that he's not going anywhere. So we'll see. All right. We'll break right here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, when we get back, let's talk about uh, some updates on this uh, Sooner recruiting class again. And what a night's for Austin Reeves last night. Unbelievable. We'll hear what he had to say after his big game-winning three over the Mavericks. All that coming up next here on The Ref. This is your home for Sooner fans. The Ref Sports Radio Network. Austin Reeves was last night, man. It was a cold shot. That's a Stevie Ray Bond song, by the way. But uh, the uh, Lakers rookie making a big three to take down the Dallas Mavericks last night, 107 to 104. Here's how it sounded when it went down. James doubled, finds Ellington, corner to Westbrook. Final seconds, out to Reeves, three-pointer, bang! Reeves! Gives him a three-point lead with nine-tenths of a second remaining. No timeouts for Dallas. Pull up from half court. Oh, off the mark, and the Lakers survive in overtime. What a finish here in Dallas. How about that, Austin Reeves? Uh, last night, he didn't just hit the game winner. He was five of six from three-point range. Played, I think it was 34, 35 minutes last night and uh, just had a heck of a game. And who would have thought, I mean, we knew that Austin Reeves, once he signed there, you know, that he might have a chance to make the roster. Not only has he made the roster, he's been uh, he's been pretty effective for them when he's gotten an opportunity to play, and he was very effective last night, no doubt about it. Here's what Austin Reeves had to say about the shot and the situation on the Lakers postgame. I mean, there was about a one, one second left, and I didn't have anything else to do but shoot it. Uh, and, um, I'm walking on the court. Coach Mike P told me, uh, if it comes to you, knock it down. So, um, great pass, and I made a shot. Yeah, I mean, I just try to uh, 
give what the defense takes from me. Um, I mean, uh, the guys made really good plays for me, and Coach put me in a good position. So uh, it's a good team win. Austin, what does it mean to you that Frank Vogel and the coaching staff stuck with you throughout the fourth quarter and throughout overtime? I mean, it means a lot. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I have the trust I can say that. But, uh, I mean, it feels good, I mean, just to be out there competing. Uh, that's the most minutes I've played in a while. So I'm just, I mean, I'm happy to be uh, playing basketball for a living. Who would have figured that Austin Reeves would be shooting the three ball as well as he is? Because yeah. I think that's the most surprising part of this whole ordeal for me is he could knock it down at times when he mm -hmm. was in Oklahoma. But I think on the whole, I want to say his career three-point percentage was somewhere around 35 as an Oklahoma State, which is fine, but it's not elite. No. And yet five for six from NBA range, including a game winner. You know, and my thought on Austin Reeves is he has a great basketball IQ and a great basketball skill set. He's not a great athlete, but he does have uh, – he can handle the ball. Uh, he's shooting the ball well this year, and he just – he knows the game, you know. And how surreal is it to see, you know, this kid who was playing at the LNC last year, and we thought, yeah, is Austin Reeves going to have a chance to play? Man, probably overseas, something like that. And yet he's being congratulated by Russ, LeBron, and, you know, all those guys who are going to the Hall of Fame last night as the hero of that game. Pretty amazing. And uh, it was an incredible game uh, last night at Oklahoma City between two teams who are uh, tanking with the best of them. Oklahoma City hasn't gone full-on tank yet, but they are, they are tanking in a uh, minutes restriction kind of way. And I'm not saying that they've said, Mike Muscala, you can only play like 12 minutes a game. But clearly – uh, they are tweaking minutes when it looks like they're about to win. Uh, last night, though, the finish in Oklahoma City was just unreal. I mean, it was actually uh, the craziest finish in an NBA game in the regular season I've ever seen, where you have SGA, you know, as you got Garrett Temple trying to foul him, and he hits a 31-foot three to tie the game at 110. You think, ah, here we go, we're going overtime. Uh, the Pelicans are out of timeout, so there's none of this, you know, get the ball at half court. They weren't allowed to advance the ball. They had to take it out under the basket. Devontae Graham with a 61-foot heave, which you normally do not see in the NBA. It goes in. The Pels win the game 113-110. to So, But like I'm saying, if you're an Oklahoma City fan and you're at the game last night or you're watching the game, that was a – you know, I thought the Thunder played pretty well. Just about everybody in the roster played pretty well last night. Shea Gilgis-Alexander was great. Josh Giddy was really good. Uh, Mike Muscala came off the bench. He's shooting 44% from three on the season. And he had uh, 16 points, played well. Um, but again, you know, you don't want to win a bunch of games. You can't win too many. And uh, the Pelicans win for the ninth time this year. Uh, Oklahoma City is now at 8-19 after the loss last night. So it's kind of the perfect game. Yeah, in a lot of ways, that's exactly Exciting, how they do it up, right? Unbelievable finish. Uh, I don't know. That's even though it's a loss, that is about as as exciting as it's been for the Thunder all year. What were the other moments? Drake meeting that family, you know, that couple was pretty cool. And there have been some moments. I mean, the comebacks against the Lakers were amazing. One from twenty six, one from nineteen, but uh, that was insane. That was absolutely insane. Okay, uh, what do you think NFL tonight? Chiefs, Chargers, will that be on your radar? Will you watch any of that tonight? Man, kind of that's going to be an awesome football game. Yeah, I will watch that one because 
I think those are two teams that could very well be playing in the Super Bowl at the end of the season. Obviously, it's going to have to be one or the other and not both. But especially in that AFC, with everybody as densely packed at the top as they are, this game is hugely significant in the playoff race in terms of seeding. The and Chiefs so, were so bad defensively, and Patrick Mahomes was throwing all those picks early in the year, um, and, and it was just like, man, what's going on with Kansas City? But they've they've gotten their act together. They look like the team that uh, I don't know. Bill Belichick's done an unbelievable job. There's no doubt. But if you had to pick, put your money on one team right now to uh, you know to win the AFC, who would it be? I'm going Kansas City still. I, I, I think I think I would agree with you. I would go Kansas City just because they've done it before, mm-hmm. right? And like every year, I talk myself into believing the hype on the Chargers because every year the Chargers have a lot of hype. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback, whether that's Philip Rivers over the years or Justin Herbert. It doesn't matter who the head coach is, Marty Schottenheimer, Anthony Lynn, what have you. The Chargers are a team that has. It seems like every single year they have all the talent on that roster to go to the Super Bowl, and it just doesn't materialize in the postseason. So I find out, I find it hard to buy in on them. I think New England is interesting. Um, I'm not quite willing to assert that a team with Mac Jones at quarterback is going to go and win the mm. AFC. And again, but, he's had a really good rookie year, but to expect him to, yes, advance all the way to the Super Bowl, that's that's a lot. Yeah. I don't I I've never been big on the Ravens when it comes to postseason play. I just don't think Lamar Jackson is a guy that can get you through the grind of a playoff run. And I think Lamar Jackson, you know, he's he's really revolutionized the game. I don't think that's I don't think that's an outlandish assertion to make because he's just so different from mm-hmm. every other quarterback that we've seen have success at the professional level. But Michael Vick re- revolutionized it but, sort of okay, before but, Lamar, though, right? Yeah, but Michael Vick was different than Lamar. Michael Vick could throw the ball. He was a better thrower, yes. You, you will not see Lamar Jackson win games with his arm. It's like, pretty rare. I mean, occasionally in some games, like, all right, he's figuring this out, and then he comes back to – you know, a three-interception game or whatever. Look, watching Lamar Jackson throw the ball will never be pretty. And mm-hmm. he is never a good, he's never a guy that's going to hit a deep ball right on the money to win you a football game. But his athleticism from the quarterback position and his ability to place throws when he needs to at the short and intermediate level have made him very dangerous. In fact, made him the MVP back in 2019. I just don't think that in the NFL that style of quarterback play is conducive to a deep playoff run. That's why you mm-hmm. saw. That's why you never saw Michael Vick play in a Super Bowl. Uh, Chiefs Chargers tonight, seven twenty Thursday night football on Fox and the NFL Network. All right, um, if you had your pick, who would you like to see in the Super Bowl? I mean, obviously you're a if Tampa I Bay guy, right? Well, yeah. Uh, homerism and bias aside, I think okay. Realistic possibilities here. Let's go ahead and limit it to that. I would love to see the Browns make a Super Bowl, and I would love to see Baker Mayfield be the one to get them there. And again, that probably doesn't happen, especially with how deep that AFC is right now. But I would love for Cleveland to snap that Super Bowl drought. In a dream world, that'd be great. And look, the Browns are only one spot out. Uh, Seven teams qualify in this 17-game regular season now. Um, But I just, yeah, I'm with you. I think if I'm going to go more realistic... I mean, we, we already saw Brady Belichick go at it earlier in a year. So, my ideal Super Bowl, I think, 
if we're talking legitimately likely possibilities, I would love to see the Titans and the Rams. Because you got a couple of intriguing storylines there, right? Matt Stafford, in his first year out of the mm-hmm. hellhole that is Detroit, yeah. finally gets a chance to play on the biggest stage. You have a rematch of one of the most iconic Super Bowls of all time, the tackle, Mike Jones, on Kevin Dyson to give Kurt Warner and the greatest show on turf that Super Bowl victory over Steve McNair and the Titans. And then in this year's Tennessee Titans team, you have a guy in Mike Vrabel who he's such a good football coach, and he's so young too. He has as bright a future as anybody in the profession at that level, and I do think he will coach in multiple Super Bowls before he's done. I would love to see him get to one, though, because he's played in plenty, right, as a linebacker for the New England Patriots. But I also just think I I respect Tennessee because they play throwback football. It's a run-first team with an absolute beast and a mauler at the running back position and a quarterback who's just kind of – he's a jag. He's just a guy. But he'll do you enough to win a football game. He won't lose you one. And so – I have respect for the way that the Tennessee Titans play football. I would love to see them and the Rams in the Super Bowl. I think if uh, if we're talking realistic, uh, I would like to see uh, you know the Cowboys and uh, Cowboys in Kansas City be a good local one, um, and then uh, Aaron Rodgers against Bill Belichick would be a pretty good one also. Uh, and the Arizona Cardinals, if the Cardinals and the, they got the news bad news on DeAndre Hopkins, but uh, the Cardinals against Kansas City or the Cardinals against, uh, you know, the Patriots. Cardinals against anybody. Uh, I don't think the Browns are going to get there. I think it's going to be really close. We'll see. How fun would it be to see a Browns-Cardinals Super Bowl? Oh, well, that, yes. Baker versus Kyler. Unbelievable. That would be great. Unbelievable. All right, but the Thursday night game is a good one tonight. Uh, the L.A. Chargers hosting the uh, Chiefs at SoFi on Fox and the NFL Network. All right, thank you to our friends at the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley sponsoring our second hour here on Steel Man and Thune on the Ref Radio Network. Exit 72 for a great deal on a vehicle from the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. One more award-winning, maybe, segment to go. Coming up next. This is your home for Sooner fans. The Ref Sports Radio Network. Won't you stay with me? Caleb Williams. You think Brent Venables uh, walked in? That was his walk-in music in his first meeting. Uh, I just I, now I have this mental image of Brent Venables singing this song a cappella. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, Bob Stoops on the harmonies. Yeah. So, what do you think about uh, the Dylan Gabriel to UCLA and how that uh, affects Caleb's decision? Again, I think that is a very good indication that Caleb Williams is going to be back in an OU uniform. Okay, and explain to people who may not know why you think that is so big. Okay, so Dylan Gabriel, uh, formerly of the University of Central Florida, committed to UCF to play under Jeff Levy, who was the offensive coordinator at the time. Played under him for one year, then Jeff Levy took the job at Ole Miss. Right. Dylan Gabriel hit the transfer portal a couple weeks back, and I was told at that time he had the intention of reuniting with Jeff Levy at Ole Miss. Now, that's about the time that Jeff Lebby's name starts to pick up steam for the Oklahoma offensive coordinator position. And so once Jeff Lebby makes the move, and you've got Caleb Williams' career 
in the Sooner Crimson hanging in limbo as to whether he's going to stay or whether he's going to go. Uh, I was then told by several people and several people whom I trust that there was a very good chance that if Caleb Williams were to leave, right, yes. Dylan Gabriel would be at OU. Would be at OU. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I was also told that Dylan Gabriel was probably going to wait until Caleb Williams had made a decision before he picked his landing spot. Because, like I said, if Caleb Williams leaves, Dylan Gabriel's got an opportunity to play for Jeff Levy and start It's a at good Oklahoma. sign. So, so we're at uh, 97% now on Caleb Williams staying. Uh, I, I still wouldn't go that high. but here's 95 a- for me. Okay, I'm going 95. <laughs> uh, the auctioneer here. Anybody got a 96? 97? But here's the reality. I think the fact that you've seen Dylan Gabriel make a decision speaks to one of two things. Either he's just in love with Chip Kelly, which I'm not discounting, right? Chip Kelly has shown an ability to coach quarterbacks Mm -hmm. and produce some pretty good ones. But it's also an indication that Dylan Gabriel maybe knows something we don't know or at least is getting the impression that Caleb Williams is leaning heavily towards staying in Norman. Speaking of Caleb Williams, Bob Stoops was asked about uh, what he thought about uh, Caleb's upcoming decision and what it might be. That wouldn't be fair for me to say. Uh, you know, I'm sure Caleb and his family are, are continuing to evaluate everything, and there'll be more discussions with, you know, Coach Venables, Coach Levy, and and on and on. What's our offensive vision? And and he's getting that, some of that already. You know, and I think that's been positive. Communication's been positive, but I'm, I'm not going to speak to where it's at. That wouldn't be right for me to do. Um, you know. Um, ha- the last couple weeks here, he's been an incredible player for OU, a great teammate. He's been out hustling, been at all his workouts. Has been, was like Coach Venable said, he lit it up on Saturday in our team sessions, and and Pascal sessions. He he had a great day out there. So it seems like he's, you know, is feeling positive the way things so far have been moving. But again, I'm not going to speak for he or his family on on where that is. There you go. Caleb Williams is going to stay. That's your prediction? I believe. You're putting uh, it down on ink right now? You know, I I was a little bit worried uh, when OU got mule shooed for three or four days. But every day after that, I still I grow a little more confident that he's staying, and I'm pretty close to 100%. And hearing his conversation on the podcast on the Prairie with, uh, with Jeremiah Hall and Braden Willis, really good um, – those are those are good guys too, and he. I thought he was, I thought Caleb, and you knew he would be very impressive. You talked to him at camps and everything, but what an impressive kid, man! Air Comfort Solutions text line: Should we stand outside Caleb's residence with candles and hold a vigil with painted nails? You should do the uh, John Cusack. Just hold up a boombox. <laughs> I don't know what song we could play on the boombox, but uh, Sam Smith, stay with me, I guess. All right. Thank you to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Get out to Riverwind and play with your wild card. Get some extra entries for the $40,000 Holidays on Us promotional drawing on Saturday. Always a good time. Always a great chance to win and win big out at Riverwind. We have the rush coming up next. Everybody have a great rest of your Thursday. We'll see you.